Steinberg. I'm talking to Gilbert Gottfried. We could just not even start yet and just talk the way we've been talking. Uh, yes. We're at the Friars Club. Yes. And we've been looking at all these sort of legendary comedians and bad-mouthing pretty much everything. Yeah, yes. <laughs> now, and I also feel like when I'm watching you, like you're doing it wrong. I hate to give you direction. Oh, sure, no, give me... But here's, me. here, if we could start all over again, <laughs> what you're supposed to do is go, Hello, this is David Steinberg, <laughs> and we're talking to comedian Gilbert Gottfried, and we're at the Friars Club. <laughs> I was the most pretentious of all the comedians. In fact, I always thought that would be a good moniker when they were advertising me. The pretentious comedian... <laughs> David Steinberg. But you're taking advantage of me because I'm a Canadian. Oh, and, that's right. And Canadians have England as their sort of... Oh, yeah, oh that's... We, we, we worship the English in Canada. So what is the... Because, I mean, like... There were no Canadian big comedians before SCTV and John Candy. Oh, and yeah. That. Yeah. And what happened to most of them from SCTV? <laughs> They used to be so big, and now there's a handful. There's uh, by, by Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy, Martin Short. Oh, yes, there yes. Wa there was John Candy, who yeah. died suddenly, but a long time ago. And then there was Andrea Martin and... Rick Moranis. Oh, yes. Who's really a very underrated, brilliant comedian. And he turned down Ghostbusters yes. recently like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I mean, because that was one, you know, that was one of those jobs <laughs> where you had to come in and be there for an hour yes. at the most. Yes. And here's like $50 million. <laughs> yeah. He's a very uh, independent individual. And a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> For, because you're giving up the money. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he ever wants to do show business again. He made a lot of money yes. in uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Was that yeah. one of his? Yeah. And then he had a piece of that. He writes songs that are great. He has an album that gets rave reviews. None of this excuses him <laughs> uh, turning down the easiest payday that anyone's had in their entire life. Yeah. It's it, it's it's remarkable, isn't it, that he you have to admire him, not you especially. No, I don't, you don't admire, admire him. Yeah. I mean you figure take it just the idea. If you don't want the money, take the money, cash the check and throw it out the window <laughs> if you don't want it. What's the lowest price that you would work for? Like if <laughs> is there a such thing? I mean <laughs> If people... I'm practically will take a job if I have to pay them, and that's how low. <laughs> now we were discussing something beforehand. Sure. sure. You you were telling me a joke about an old Jew comic named yes. Joey or Jackie. It was a Joey. It was a, a Joey. Joey. Yes. Which yes. narrows it down. Yes. And what I told you is that I was in the steam bath with him and a friend of mine who obviously knew him. And he said, Joey, would, we'll do impressions. I said, really? And we're all in the steam bath. And just three of us in the steam bath. I said, well, this is great. And he says, Joey, do uh, James Cagney. And so, okay. He took his towel off because they were all naked. <laughs> and he held his penis. And he did. His penis made the face. And the guy goes, <laughs> 
He did you dirty rat and held the penis and clicked it. And then he said, "Who do you, David? Who do you want to hear?" And I didn't. I was sort of like embarrassing. I said, "A bogey is that going to be too difficult?" <laughs> so these guys must have been in Vegas late at night working those awful shifts, like like Rickles, you know, worked all night. It's it's funny because I'll complain. I've done a bunch of shows where it was three shows a night. And I, by the third show, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. anymore. I may have said the same joke ten times in a row, yes. I, and I, and I, I can't work those. <laughs> And then you hear about these comics and singers who would do nine shows yes. a night. Yes, and be out all night. I mean, Rick Rickles would start at 12.30 at night. Yeah. And then he would do the lounge all night. Eventually, he got so hot that people were just, you know, were with him all night. But he'd be at 3 in the morning, at 5 in the morning, and then he'd sleep all day. And go work at the lounge at night. And Bob Newhart, who was his best friend, was like the headliner. <laughs> and he was working at the nighttime and slept while uh, Rickles was doing that. But he did that, I think, for over a year, being in the lounge. But it's got to be good for you because you learn how to do anything, right? You oh, yeah. Put people down, do all the Rickles stuff. I've been hearing this way before all the talent shows on TV. Yeah. And all and the internet and all of these different zillions, endless outlets where they used to say years ago, see, people needed a place to be bad. Yes. And yeah. now they're real. They were saying back in my childhood. <laughs> yes. There wasn't a place to be bad anymore. Now there are a zillion places to go on <laughs> yes. when you're not at all ready. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah. I mean, can you imagine yourself and if you had recorded the act you did, like, before you were in TV? Oh, it's awful. Yeah. It would be awful because you're just you're poking around and trying to figure out what to do. And you say, okay, well, that one works. I'll try that the next day. And this one doesn't work, and I'll throw that away. It would have been awful. Yeah, because yeah. no. you're at that point when you're starting comedy where you go, hmm, uh, chair rhymes with lair. Uh, so that's kind of funny. <laughs> were you funny in school when you were like 14, 12? Okay. I was joking around, and I like started doing imitations when I was a kid. Not with my dick. <laughs> no. I was doing other things with my dick. Oh, you missed but... a big opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are a million people who do millions of impressions. Yeah. And, you know, on Saturday Night Live and other sketch shows like that. So there are people who do impressions. <clears throat> and there are still actors. You know, people imitate Tom Cruise and stuff. Yeah. But whatever happened to, like, the people like Rich Little, Frank Gorshin, Fred Travelina... <laughs> George Kirby, who their whole bit was but doing someone else. Yeah, and it, and and it was always you know like I've been doing the whole time. And uh, if your doctor was Robert Mitchum, 
it might look a little something, and they turn around, adjust their collar, muss up their hair, and make a face and do rapid mention. (laughs) Yes, yeah. That's a tough gig to have to do somebody else. You have to assume, first of all, they have to be very big stars because the audience is to know who you're doing. Oh, yes. That's what you can't do, like, some person who's just started out that you happen to do better than anybody else. Yeah, you can't say... And if Mark Ruffalo was your uh, doctor, and you go, okay, which one's he again? Did we ever see him in a movie? (laughs) So who was a great impressionist that you saw? Well, like those people. Those guys. Yeah, George Kirby. Yeah, George Kirby, Marilyn Michaels. uh, Yeah. Oh, and, and someone forgotten about and who's still alive, and that's Will Jordan. Oh, yes, he did Ed Sullivan. Yeah, that he, was his big Ed thing. He invented. Yes. The, and that's that's something else. It's like there are people who invent an impression, and everyone's just imitating them. Yes, that's true. Like, oh, David Fry. David Fry invented the Nixon impression. <clears throat> yes. And any impressionist or actor who imitates Nixon is doing David <clears throat> Fry. David Fry's version. Uh, yeah. Like, <clears throat> I'm Richard Nixon. Yeah. Like, that was yeah. his. Yeah. You know, David Fry was my guest when I hosted The Tonight Show, substituted for Carson. Oh, yes. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, do, do yes. you remember the story? And <laughs> Freddie DeCordova and Peter Vasselli, who were the producers, said, look, when you get to David Fry, just mention who he's supposed to do, which is Nixon, Yes. Right? <laughs> just say Nixon and then go right in. But don't ask him anything else, don't I? Because he'll get nervous and just go right to yeah, Nixon. Yeah. And he'll do that and he'll do them all the way. So I, he came on and he sat down and the audience <laughs> applauded. And of course I was going to do this. I said, David, hi, how are you? And I was just going to say, dude, go to Nixon. So I said, hi, how are you? And he looked out at the, the producer and said, what's this hi, how are you? <laughs> what do you mean, hi, how are you? I, I said, oh, oh, and I realized he was panicked because I wasn't supposed to ask him a question. So, I mean, hi, how are you feeling about Nixon? <laughs> I, I made a terrible transition, but then he went and he did Nixon and Nixon, and he did it, and he was he killed that, and then he looked at the producer, album and he pointed to me. I was the host yeah. of The Tonight Show at that point. Yeah. He says, what's he doing? What is he, what is he doing? And, and and Freddie DeCordova came over and said, David, you're not going to ask any more questions. I said, no, no. And he said, okay, I'll do this person and yeah. that person. But he could only do who he, who you said. Now, Frank Ocean invented the Burt Lancaster impression yes. and the Kirk Douglas. And everyone doing Burt Lancaster or Kirk Douglas is doing his. Right. And Rich Little is the one who invented the Johnny Carson. Yes, he yeah. went, he was that what he owned that. Yeah. yeah. Everybody who goes, "Oh, yeah, that's wild." Yeah. He's doing Rich Little. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. I but so you have that ear for that too. You you're you're an impression guy yourself, right? Yes. I mean, so, and yeah. oh, I should tell a story I heard also having to do with nothing other than it. I heard it was with Carson. <laughs> and Bob Hope was on Carson. Mhm. And and during a break, Carson said, you know, I, I was reading about you and 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 he was going, you know, I read that 
You were born in England. You lived in a rat-infested tenement in this slum dwelling, a dangerous slum dwelling where it was just sewage in the street. And your father uh, died of drinking. Your mother had some disease and she died. You and your brothers were forced to live on your own when you were little kids. Your brothers died. And then as uh, you were like five years old, living in this uh, abandoned building and with rats and disease and just dangerous people. And Bob Hope goes, yeah, that's wild, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Who's your creation that people do? Oh, what? Not the David Steinberg or? (laughs) Do David Steinberg. You're sitting. (laughs) You're talking to David Steinberg because you you have me in my high pitched. Yes. Your your high pitched, most pretentious stage. (laughs) Repute the allegations. That the literature of the Middle Ages was moribund. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that was me. That was me. Like, like I, I was talking. I had Paul Williams mm-hmm. on my podcast, and he said, "Oh, our next guest on my podcast is David Steinberg." <laughs> yes, I did. Paul. And and I said, you know, I don't have to hear it. <laughs> Because I already know it's going to be, well, uh, David, David, it's a pleasure having you on the show. And, and you're just such a great comedian. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Paul. And I've always admired your songwriting abilities. Well, that's an honor hearing that from you, David. <laughs> It's an honor seeing it. I'm just being honest. <laughs> now, in fairness to, to me, David Steinberg, refute the allegation that the literature of the Middle Ages was moribund was me not understanding what I had to do in my blue book. It was not like I was trying to sell my intellect, as you portray it. <laughs> So you admit you're a pretentious fuck, no. <clears throat> but you just in that particular case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in that particular case, I was supposed to be pretentious. Yes. Basically, I was taking my blue book exam, <laughs> and I didn't study, and I don't even remember my name. I'm so scared. <laughs> I look at the blue book and it says refute. And I go, oh, I could refute the allegation. Oh, sure, the allegation that the literature of the Middle Ages was, and I pause for a long time. And, and there it is, a word I don't know, moribund. I don't know what moribund means. And I go, there are those who say that the literature of the Middle Ages was, and I would look at it, moribund. <laughs> so that became a piece of material. So you as a child probably heard that. and or Yes, me, and that yeah. stuck with me. <laughs> yes. But but when, when you told me you are the most pretentious comic... <laughs> The first thing that popped into my mind is, oh, my God, Robert Klein is dead? (laughs) (laughs) And Robert Klein and I were in Second City together. Yeah. Tell us about Robert Klein. 
well, he's a he's an excellent. Excellent. <laughs> this is like like being at the House of Un-American Activity. <laughs> no, Robert Klein and I. A day before yesterday, had lunch together. Okay, at Michael's. Yes, because we carry each other's history because we yes. run Second City together, and he was very, he's very generous. He said when he said you had to leave, which I did to go to England, and then he emerged as a very good Second City and started to do comedy yes. and everything. Our managers were adver- adversaries. Yes. But Clyde and I weren't that adversarial. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but the managers, well, Steinberg's working this gig, though. Clyde <laughs> had to work that gig. But, but Robert, he looks the same, you know, and goes on the road whenever he wants to. Although, after a while, you get a little tired of the road. I certainly couldn't oh. be doing the road anymore. Oh, my Neither God, could it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the hardest thing. You leave your kids, you leave your wife. I constantly have <clears throat> reporters saying to me, but, you know, even though you've been in movies and TV, what you really love and what you have to keep doing is is comedy out there. And I go, eh, I could do without it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like God could step down and go, here's the money you would have made for the rest of your career doing stand-up. And I go, okay, I won't do it again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Stand-up is hard enough that if you had enough money to not do it, you wouldn't do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is the fantasy I always have before I go on stage. And it gets worse and worse. My biggest fantasy is that the owner of the club will come to me right before it's about to go on stage and go, we just had a flood or a fire at the club. Uh, You can't do a show. Here's your check. Go home. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's ideal. Right? Yeah, that, that is... to me, if that would happen at every single club I <laughs> yes, went to. Yes, that, that would be perfect. That right? would be a bigger fantasy than like, you know, uh, uh, that you'd have with like a Playboy bunny or whatever the hell. <laughs> How much has comedy changed since you started out? Like now, it's like the thing. It's like it's like singers. It's like mu- you oh, know, there, yeah. there are more comedians. There are more comedy improv groups. Names that I, you hardly even remember. There are so many of them, and it's changed from when you started out and when I started out, especially yeah. me. But you too, right? Yeah, I lose track of yeah. all of it, and I don't know. And when people say to me, uh, "What comic do you love nowadays?" and I'll go. I remember laughing at Milton Berle and Henny Youngman and Jerry Lewis, but uh, that's when I wasn't uh, in the business. Yes. And now that I'm in the business, you know, I think it's probably the same with you. You watch a comic and you go, ah, that's clever. Yeah, yeah, that's a good bit. (laughs) You don't laugh. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. You You just mark it. So were you like a radio geek? Too? Did you listen to things? Because I'm older than you, so the radio was where I heard all the comedy in Canada. I mean, I saw most of the comedy on TV. I, I would sometimes hear it on radio. and uh, But then I, oh, and, you know, radio. I remember when radio was like, there would be like about five disc jockeys, and you knew their names, you knew their voices, and it, yeah. And boy, that's another thing that's yeah. changed. Yes, 
There are no disc jockeys anymore, right? Oh they're, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. And or, or there's twenty zillion yeah. disc jockeys, so you don't know who's who and anything. So when you were a kid, would would you, what you did you go to? You went to the comedy movies, right? Who were who who did you see in the movies that? that you just thought was funny because you, it doesn't start from you wanting to be someone. Yeah. People think that, oh, I want to be that. It doesn't start with that. It starts with you just loving it so much, right? Yeah. I, I mean, like, well, in movies and on TV, Jerry Lewis when right. I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. You know, anything he did. He was as funny as you could be and you could, I remember myself seeing his, you know, at war with the Army, at war with the Navy, all of those, scared stiff, just laughing just as a, as a kid, laughing so hard by myself in a, usually an empty theater because I was skipping school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Yeah, he 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 really got to me so that I remember just l- laughing by myself, you know, at how funny he was. I didn't know it was a craft. I didn't know he wasn't that character. When I saw movies when I was a kid, I thought they were like real oh, things. Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember going with my parents and we saw The Nutty Professor, which yeah. that to me was like <laughs> yeah, the- just it. And then I remember, like, see, on TV, I always say, well, I don't always say this. Sometimes I say, can I have a cup of coffee? And Or these shoes don't fit right. <laughs> but uh, at other times, what I say, <laughs> sometimes I'll go, you know, I just got a haircut, but I think he left a little too much in the back. Oh, you do? Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I always say, hey, is this my water or yours? <laughs> no. Uh, that, like, back when I was a kid, the greatest film school in the country was in your living room. Yeah. Because TV had all these movies yes. of every different type. Absolutely. So that's how I got familiar with the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. And and I, I love the Marx Brothers films. Yeah. And, of course, well, the Stooges I love. Yeah, yeah. All the little, and Costello. And they were a community of people. So as a kid, you would identify the, the, the three Stooges had their brothers, and the Groucho had Harpo and Chico. Yes. And so... When you're a kid and you're lonely and you don't know what you realize, oh, I would like to be in that group. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes. And and it was a weird thing. Before anyone discussed gay yes. or even knew what gay was, I mean, you know, at a time period when Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lynn were eccentric. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and they could have a wife and kids, and yes. Paul Lynn could be there going, Oh, look at that hot looking girl over there. <laughs> hey, honey, want to go out on a date? That's a great thought. And, and you'd go, Oh, yeah. He, see, he likes women, but he's just eccentric. Yes. Or they were like, gay was also a thing of a sinister. They'd be like these villains who would act like this. Yes, like Vincent Price. Yes. I don't know if he was gay or not. Yes, but he... I was questioning. I, I had his daughter on my podcast. Oh, oh really? Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast yes. that you can hear on GilbertGottfried.com. <laughs> yeah, his daughter, Victoria. <laughs> and I interviewed her, and I said, uh, 
So, what was the story with Vincent Price? Because, you know, it really, there's no way around it after a while. And, you know, because there you thought he was sinister and charming and erudite. Yes. Yeah. And she never gave an out-and-out answer, but she said she thinks there may have been more there than just the pussy hound we figured he was. <laughs> just like this major cunt hunter that we always assume he was, that maybe he had other interests in that area because he was always like that. Mm, I'm going to kill you now. (laughs) And it's like, okay, he's sinister. (laughs) But you could do impressions. We did a great show, the Belzer show. We've talked about it. Oh, yes. That was... It was Richard Belzer as Richard Belzer. (laughs) Right. Very convincingly. Right. And you were the bartender. Yes. And it was Tom Leopold who was his manager, basically almost was Belzer's manager. Right. And we opened with the Chico News. You did the Chico... Oh, God! Yeah, remember that one? Oh, jeez. Yeah, you you were the bartender. And you'd say, what's in the Chico news? And you and Leopold and Belzer would do the news as Chico Marx. <laughs> yes, because yeah. I used to love Chico and those. <laughs> do you still do Chico? Do a little Chico yeah. for oh, me. Oh, okay. My favorite Chico line mm-hmm. in the movies, and it's because it, it's just the way he says it that mm-hmm. makes it so funny, <clears throat> yeah. is in Coconuts. The evil uh, woman there is tempting each one of... She's flirting with each Marx brother separately. And each one she's going, you know, what are you doing at 11 o'clock tonight? And Chico goes, maybe you got a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're watching that movie for the first time, does that line pop stay in your mind or it's the one that you remember afterwards yeah right? it, it's like that's that line i thought wow there's nothing particularly funny about it but it's making me laugh yes and it it sounds so filthy <laughs> yes. the way he said well you know you know who i had i always admired for taking non-joke lines lines that aren't at all funny and i'm cracking up is I laugh more at Bud Abbott. Yes. When, and, and people don't, unless you really watch them a lot, you yeah. don't appreciate Bud Abbott. Yes. You know, like when in Who's on First Base when they're doing that, and Costello's the one, he's the funny one, that's yeah. the one people laugh at. But when he goes, you know, I'm a pretty good catcher myself. That's very and, and Bud Abbott goes, so they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and and that to me is hysterical. So yes. they tell me. Yes. Doesn't mean anything, but you need a break yes. from what Luke Costello's doing, so Bud comes in. In Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. One of the best of oh, all of them. Great movie. Yes. Costello is uh you know, he's doing that thing where he's seen Frankenstein and Dracula and the Wolfman, and he, he's too exasperated to talk, and it's that thing of... <laughs> 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 
and, yeah. and he's he's waving his hands around and everything, and and like trying to walk like Frankenstein with his arms outstretched, and the but he can't get the words out. And in the midst of it, after he's doing that for a while, Abbott goes, "Okay, okay, put your hands down." <laughs> And I think that is so funny. <laughs> I don't know why, but that makes me laugh. Well, you know, so Abbott and Costello, they were Second World War comedians. Yes. But privates come home and oh, privates. Yeah, yeah. That was, they were always, you, you've, in the 40s, you have to do Navy and Army because that was the big thing. And that's where the they did their comedy. Then later on, <clears throat> um, Martin and Lewis started yeah, doing yeah, war right. comedies. So... So, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello were the idols of Martin and Lewis. So, they, Martin and Lewis saw Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, and they did their version of that. Not, not yeah. quite. So, the rumor has it, and I think it's probably true because I've read it a few times, is that Lou Costello saw that Dean Martin, who was a good-looking guy, had a long nose. I, I know this one, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Lou Costello... Offered to be his manager, and he paid for Dean Martin's nose job. Yes, and Dean Martin wanted nothing to do with Lou Costello. Oh, I didn't that. know that part. Really? Yeah, I. I mean, I heard Dean Martin as much as everyone who talks about him was charmed by him. Yeah, and they said he was the most charming individual you'll ever meet. He seemed like a sociopath. <laughs> like I feel like you could drop dead in front of him and he just turned and talked to the other person at the table <laughs> i didn't know him but i saw him a lot yeah and not to spoil the story but he was a charming guy yeah he was a very very nice guy yeah i mean being crosby someone could die at his feet and i have a feeling oh. you just go boo, boo, do whatever that being crosby okay thing. i heard a story that Bing Crosby, well, everyone knows Bing Crosby used to beat the shit out of his kids. He was like uh, a sadist. Yes. And and his kids would suffer the worst yes. beatings yes. from him. And they all were screwed up because of Oh, that. my yeah. God, yeah. Yeah, poor, poor yeah. 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 Uh, the whole, all of them were screwy. Yeah. And that somebody <laughs> once asked Buddy Hackett about that and Buddy Hackett said you know why Bing Crosby beat his kids <laughs> because Bing Crosby couldn't get a high on <laughs> <laughs> which which makes me think that Bing Crosby would be sitting in bed with his pipe next to his frustrated wife going I can't get a b b b b boner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Gilbert, we we have done a lot together, and have, I directed you and met about. Oh yes! You. Yeah. Oh oh yes! Uh, tell me, tell our okay. audience that story. This is- <laughs> <laughs> you were directing me and mad about you, and there was one scene where I had to yell something at Paul Reiser and then run off. And so I did it, and I I yelled the thing at him and ran off. And then you, very meekly and uncomfortably, walked over to me and said, I, I'd like you to do it again, 
But this time, could you go a little, could you run a little faster? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I guess I could run faster. And he, no, 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 I, I don't mean faster. I mean a little more gracefully. <clears throat> and I said, gracefully? And, and, well, no, no, not so much gracefully, but not not choppy motions, <laughs> not a more even run. And then there was this, like, was a pause, because I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> and you said, finally, you shook your head and, and, and sighed and went, can you run less Jewish? <laughs> and then I knew immediately. You got it yes, on the next Yes. <laughs> Now, why aren't you in a sitcom now? That's a you'd think that that would be a natural for you. I right? think it's after the time you directed me. No one <laughs> no wanted, one wanted me you again. That. Yeah, I but, was hot before that. I have a friend who's been around show business for a long time, and she saw Amy Schumer live somewhere, and she did a eight minute, and she couldn't get over how brilliantly funny she yeah. was, just as funny as could be. So then she watched her on Saturday Night Live. And she did the same bit. Yeah. And she said to me, I couldn't believe that Amy Schumer, I thought when she was doing that for us live, that was incredible. But she didn't, she did exactly the same thing oh, on yes. television. So I, I said to her, what, what do you expect? I mean, a singer doesn't sing a new song every time he's oh, out yeah. there. And a comedian can't make up, especially on the level that she is, Amy Schumer, real good writer and all of that. You can't go in three days and rewrite a whole thing. But I was still amazed at the naivete of, of this friend, not even realizing that Every time you see a stand-up, he's worked really, or she's worked really hard on it. You have oh, to put yeah. it in front of an audience and all that, and you have to repeat yourself. You can't not repeat yourself. Like, I, I've had people who've watched, if I do two shows a night, will watch both shows. Yeah. And they'll come up to me and say, uh, that second show, you did a lot of the stuff from the first show. <laughs> yes, isn't that incredible yeah. that they don't realize? And it's not like singing. Stand-up comedy, you can't get a new piece of material for a long time. You have to go somewhere where you're not going to be seen Which on Which doesn't TV. exist anymore. No, because they all have, you could be on any phone and be, you, the material could go out anyway. But in, you know what I think about, too, when you talk about how long it takes... To create one joke. Yes. Forget a bit. Yeah. One joke could take yeah. you a year. Yeah. And whenever I hear these stories about the Algonquin Round Table, yes. and each one of them would be sipping their expensive drinks and puffing on their cigarette holders and coming out with these lines yes. over dinner. Yes. And I thought, they said these lines like 500 times yes. till I got it worded just <laughs> exactly, right. Exactly. And when it was worded just right, and they tried it in front of a bunch of audiences, yes. then they called their publicist, and, and the publicist printed, yes. this was just said. Exactly. exactly. <clears throat> you know, Chris Rock... When we did Inside Comedy, I said, well, how do you prep for Madison Square Garden? He said, I go to a place way in, near Miami, but very obscure. I go with a group of my writers and my friends. 
I, it's a little club that no one knows about. I'm there for a month. And, wow. And I go on stage every night. And he said, I feel like, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali preparing for a boxing match because I know I'm going to be in Madison Square Garden in a month. And I stay there for yeah. a month working it out night after night after night and honing it. And then he said to me, when I'm finished with that month, I know I could go in Madison Square Garden and it's going to work. On the other hand, he said, I can't do it again anywhere else because people think it's all spontaneous and I'm oh, making yes. it up. So they don't get that it's like songs that you could sing over and over again and people could hear them once or twice and you don't make everything up all the time even though you want to give that illusion as a comedian. The funny thing is in my my earlier days just like as a struggling comic trying to get on at the improv a catch mm -hmm. I used to love to just go on and not have anything prepared. Wow. And when I had a bit that worked, I, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And and I just, and that's when it was just like exploding out of me. And I yes. didn't care yeah. if it got a big laugh, then the next would bomb. And yes. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Gilbert. I love you, as you know. Yeah. We're good friends. We'll, we'll do many things to come. That's what scares me. <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast on GilbertGottfried.com. Keep your expectations under control.